This episode of the Better Every Shift podcast is sponsored by The Fire Store. Learn more about getting the gear you need at prices you can afford by visiting thefirestore.com. Welcome to the Better Every Shift podcast. My name is Aaron Zamzo. I am a fire lieutenant way up in Wisconsin. I'm also a writer for Fire Rescue One and uh, the host of this podcast for a whole year plus. Happy to be here and excited, but I'm not alone. I have the commander, as I like to call her, Janelle Foscat, with uh, me today, as always. Janelle, how are we doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to today's show. We're going to talk a lot uh, today about leadership, uh, diversity, um, you know, the development of the fire service. We may get, get into a little bit of conversation about you know, COVID and, and how that affected the fire service. We have Linda Willing with us today. Linda is uh, a longtime writer for Fire Rescue One, and she has some very clever and creative takes on leadership, uh, diversity. Uh, we are happy to have you here. Linda, how are we doing today? Well, I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Aaron. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm not going to explain what happened behind the scenes, but technology is great when it works. And when it doesn't, it really, um, you know, sometimes challenges us. And uh, we all are better already in technology for um, getting and making the show possible. So Linda, thanks for your patience. Happy to have you here. Again, you've been writing for Fire Rescue One for uh, quite a long time. Uh, you're a retired career fire officer and you, you work with uh, emergency services agencies and other organizations on issues of, of leadership development, decision-making, diversity management. Um, you've also worked uh, with the National Fire Academy for many years. Uh, my question is, after looking at your resume of articles, is where do you get your inspiration or motivation or ideas for writing your articles? Uh, well, from many sources. I, um, I read a lot, and some of them come from uh, current events, current news stories. Sometimes my editor feeds me ideas, which I always <laughs> appreciate. Um, I can relate to that one. I, I love um, history. I read history a lot. That was my undergraduate degree. And um, I find a lot of historical uh, events that have lessons, uh, leadership lessons in them. And I, I enjoy uh, bringing those things together in articles. Um, talk to people, listen to people. You know, it, it just seems like... Uh, seems like there's an, an infinite source there really right when you when you when you actually talk to people and have conversations uh right and then you also have all this experience within the fire service do you remember like the first thing first time you thought you hey i should do an article on that do you can you remember your very first article hmm good question um i remember writing it and and I remember actually the editor at the time at Fire Rescue One reaching out to me and asking if, if he could print it as an article for, that was the first one that was published. This was over 15 years ago. But I honestly, I don't remember the exact uh, subject matter of it. It was, you know, some leadership based thing, I'm sure. It, in leadership, we're gonna, we'll start with that. We'll lead with that. How about that for a pun, aha. Uh -huh. um, you know, where does that passion come from? Is that just from you? You know, obviously female in the fire service, uh, you, you probably have, uh, have a lot of experience. You actually have written a book and we'll touch uh, on that as well. 
But where does the where did that just that passion to to improve leadership and to talk about leadership come from? Well, I always felt when I was a firefighter that being a firefighter was the best job in the world. And the, it was the people in it that sometimes messed it up, <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, <laughs> and, and it wasn't, a lot of it wasn't that hard to fix because, I mean, it wasn't always their fault. It wasn't that they were deliberately trying to do the wrong thing. They had no training. They had no support. They had no good role models in doing the right thing. Um, you know, people become company officers because they were good firefighters or because somebody liked them or, you know, not necessarily because they were well prepared for what that role really entails. And, you know, Janelle asked me about when you sent the question, she said something about, you know, your passions. Well, one of my passions is improving preparedness for company officers because many of them come into that role well prepared for the technical aspect of it. You know, they go to classes on incident command and, and they learn how to do fire inspections and they learn how to write reports. And there's very little support for managing a crew, resolving conflict, um, you know, all of those things that are really critical to that role. So um, that's a long answer to your question, but that's why that's why we're here I, I, I and it sparks so many other you know thoughts and questions and you know conversations we've had on this program with um some of the other leaders of the fire service let me break this down and and st let's start at the beginning if you were to redo everything if you were to create your own curriculum for a fire officer and i think you hit it right on the head you know we we can teach and i think um you know chief uh Reggie Freeman said this, you know, I can teach anybody about fire, but what I can't teach them is, you know, how to understand interactions, emotional intelligence, and that all goes into leadership. So let's start from square one. If I'm a new company officer, which I, I am, I just got promoted. So I'm, I'm actually okay, taking personal nice. notes on this. <laughs> so where would you recommend somebody who now you're in this leadership position, they haven't gotten any of that training. Like you, like you said, it's not in our curriculums for fire. Um, it's starting to be. Where where should I begin? Um, there are there are places that you can get good support in those areas. I mean, some of the skills that are needed in that role are not fire specific. Quite the opposite. They, I mean, most of them are not fire specific. You know, you can take classes on communications. You can take classes on conflict resolution that are not specifically offered through the fire service. Um, the National Fire Academy has done a good job in recent years in creating some outreach programs. Um, I believe two-day programs that address some of these issues. Uh, so that's another option for people to do. But, um, you know, the danger of, not the danger, but the downside of going outside, say, to more of a corporate or generic type of training for um, for those types of subjects is that some of the instructors don't really understand the fire service and they use examples that don't make any sense to firefighters 
and and that's the that's the critical i mean that's where i tried to to fill i tried to fill that gap with my business because i did have the fire service experience but i also had the background you know the educational background and the experiential background in formal mediation you know in organization development and so forth to bring those two together so i think it's it's something that um honestly anything helps and there's some great books out there too um and you know the internet is full of resources unfortunately vetting them can be a problem because there's so much and not not all the same quality for different ones so anyway there's but also some great question. podcasts, right? <laughs> yeah, there's great podcasts. <clears throat> yes, um, like just yeah, just saying, like, like better yeah, average sure. Yeah, <laughs> right. But I think the point you're making is, you know, it's okay to look outside the fire service. Um, oh yes. You know, and one of the things too uh, that we had talked about, and I I noticed that you had have kind of a theme is, you know, getting good mentors, right? When you find that good leader, um, you know, how how do you understand what to pick and what not to pick? Yeah, mentoring is, is a whole other topic. We could talk for an hour about that. It's so important, but it's, it's tricky. Um, some departments have formal mentoring programs, which is a great initiative. It, it's, a, it's a great value, but I don't, I mean, sometimes, you know, assigning a mentor to somebody can be a little artificial, you know, it can be, it doesn't feel quite right. I mean, to me, the best mentoring relationships are ones that happen naturally. And they can only happen if people are prepared and supported and they know that that's expected of them, you know, that they know that they're expected to be a mentor and they have some clue on how to do it. And, and I don't know that you need to have a formal class on that or, you know, a certification program. on. I don't know that you need that. But you do need just to talk about what is a mentor, you know? Yeah. What does a mentor do? Um, what, what skills are involved? And then, you know, I mean, there's basic skills that most people, and I'm not talking just firefighters here, most people in the world don't have. I mean, most people are not good listeners. And they're getting worse. They're getting way worse because of social media and the fact that people don't talk to each other anymore. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just wrote that one article um, that was published recently about face-to-face -face contact and the importance of that and how, especially with younger people, but it's not just a generational thing, people in general are less comfortable with, um, even with telephone calls. People don't call each other anymore. They'll text somebody who's in the next room. <laughs> yes. You know they do. Uh, yeah. I, 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 my household, <laughs> sometimes uh, you will text someone and say, that is in the next room. Uh, that happens also in the firehouse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, so that one-on-one -on -one connection, I 100% I, I agree. We, we need to, you know, really start to bring that back, uh, not just in the fire service, but in obviously in, um, in everyday life, you know, you know, that connection is, is important. And I encourage people to take a look at that article, by the way, it is really good. Um, face to face, the power of direct contact in the digital age. So I did read that in, in prepping for this and I went, God, yeah, she's totally right on, on with this. Um, you know, going back to the mentor thing, do, do you have, uh, you know, who is your mentor? 
Oh, well, um, I, you know, I'm going to really date myself here. I became a firefighter in 1980, January of 1980. Um, I don't even want to ask where you were then, Aaron. But oh, I'm, I'm older than you think. I'll be 50 this year. So I was around. Yep. Okay. So you were in what, middle school then? I was, yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. All right. I was so, Star Wars crazed and in middle school. Okay. Yes. So um, 1980, the fire service was a different place than it is today. And um, the, the concept of mentoring wasn't even there. It, it didn't exist. Um, it happened, but it didn't happen as a result of any formal intention. It just happened informally. Um, women were a very new thing in the fire service in 1980. There were very few of us then. And I was among I wasn't the first on my department, but I was in the second wave on my department. Um, so I was the first on my shift. Uh, the guys that I worked with had never worked with a woman before. And, um, and that changes the nature of relationships. I mean, you know, I, I, um, I did have some, I don't know if I would call them mentors. I have some people that helped me in my career um, and again, like I say, I don't know that they, I don't think they did it in an intentional mentoring kind of way. They were just decent guys who, you know, were helpful and didn't hold it against me that I didn't look like them. So, so those people just, they, they looked out for you and, and that's sometimes really, uh, I think the start of the mentoring ship, right. It's just building that relationship, looking out for each other. Um, yeah. and so, so I don't even like, know if that's true. <laughs> I mean, I got some that, good advice. I got some good advice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that, that was, I think that's part of mentoring, right? Is good advice. Yeah. And sometimes mentoring can, can be looking at what not to do, right? Like, Hey, that, that's not how I want to be. Right? right. I'm sure you saw a lot of that when you first got started. Well, yeah. One of the, you know, some, I'll give you one of the pieces of good advice I got my first year on the job. Um, the, the captain, so, well, I, I'll give you two of them, actually, because I remember them to say, he said to me, um, if you want to succeed on this job, show up to work on time, try to get along with people, and don't do anything really stupid your first year here, and then you've got a chance. And the same guy said to me uh, not long after that, he said, um, and this, this I'll never forget because this is very important, and I think I've used this in an article even, he said, um, if you find yourself alone, start worrying. And he was not talking about in a fire. Of course, you'd be worried if you were alone in a fire, right? He was talking about any time in the fire station, if you find yourself alone. And I don't know, I mean, I haven't, I haven't been in, you know, hanging out in fire stations that much lately. I think there's more alone now than it used to be. It used to be that was true. I mean, if you were alone, it meant everyone else was doing something and you needed to go do it too. Mm -hmm. You needed to go join in with that. And if you didn't, that was a very big strike against you. So, um, you know, you can tell me if that's still true. I mean, or if people are, are more individualized now, I know people spend more time with their individual devices, which we didn't have back then. Yeah. I, in some cases, I think, you know, and I can't speak for every firehouse. I think the cultures are different from firehouse to firehouse and even region to region. 
you know, where, where, where I am in my department, it's, you know, pretty much through the day, most people are, are kind of together, crews are together. And then typically after the dinner, that's kind of where, where people scatter. And a lot of times you'll see, um, you know, different parts of the firehouse, everybody's on their phone talking to family, mm-hmm. which is, I think, a benefit of, you know, the, the cell cellular generation is that you can still have that contact with family. Um, you know, I, I think one place that it really is affected is that at the dinner table, at the lunch table. And, you know, one of the things I, I kind of looked at through the eyes of, of the 54 or five guests that we've had is, you know, just like what you had emphasized earlier. And, and I think that's a great time to put those phones down and talk to the people that are around you. And um, I've had a couple instances where, you know, I've had to say, Hey, can you just put your phone down for about five or 10 minutes? Mm-hmm. And it, and it's led to an hour's worth of great stories and conversations. Uh-huh. Um, now, when you first started, that that wasn't an issue. And, and that kind of uh-huh. leads to my next question. Like, so you started in 1980. It, what was the what do you think was the biggest change in your whole career? Now, that's a huge question. We could dig hours mm-hmm. on it. But um, well, there were there were a couple big changes, but I would say one of the the biggest and most positive changes that I think has been largely successful has been achieved is uh, the increased focus on health and safety. Um, You know, when I first came on the job, um, we wore day boots. We didn't have hoods. We had no hearing protection. Um, We had open jump seats. You know, seatbelts were optional. And we had them, but they weren't easy to use and, you know, um, smoking. Oh, my goodness. Smoking yeah. in the stations. You know, I mean, there was a guy on, on my department that would smoke in bed. I mean, <laughs> there's a concept for a firefighter, right? right? You'd be in the dorm. You'd be lying in the dorm at night. And you look across the room. You see this glow across the room, you know? I mean, all of that has totally changed. And that's all good. It's, yeah. it's all a very good thing. Um, so... And, and, you know, and it wasn't easy. I mean, it took work and it took, um, took bad things happening as well that, that those changes happened. Um, you know, some of which were part of my personal history on the department was, you know, leading up to some of those changes. So that's always been something that I've been very attentive to when I was on the job and, and I continue to pay attention to it now. You know, tag teaming on that, though, has leadership changed as much as the emphasis on health and, and, and some of the other things like technology? Has, has leadership kept up with that? Well, I don't know if I'm in a position to make a generalized statement on that, but I've certainly seen instances where it may not have, that maybe there's been more focus and priority given to the more technical aspects, you know, because they're easier. Yeah. (laughs) They're easier fixes. I mean, it it can be a challenge to get people on board and it costs money, but in many cases, people would rather spend money than they would change their outlook or change their approach to things. You know what I mean? So... Yeah. Yeah. Changing culture. We are not very responsive to yet. 
all the things that we seem to come up with and talk about on this program involve a culture change, leadership, mm -hmm. and still health and wellness. Um, you know, how we treat each other, uh, you know, how being more inclusive, right? Like all these things, when you start talking about that, you know, the culture, and I'm saying this big cloud of, of, of what we call the, the brother and sisterhood, starts to shake and not know what to do with. Um, my question is, has it always been that way? I mean, 1980 to now, I, I I have a feeling it was, but is it worse now than before because we're trying to hang on so much? Again, I don't know if I can generalize, but um, you know the the thing with fire department culture is that some things have just uh, you know some changes have been made not in the best way, I guess. And, um, and that has created a backlash and that continues to happen. I mean, it's happening even today. Uh, you know, one thing that I've worked with in the course of my consulting and training career over the last 25 years is I do diversity training. And okay, so I come in to do diversity training and the first question I always ask in the classroom is, um, is there anyone here who would rather be at the dentist getting their teeth drilled than be here in this classroom today? And there'll always be somebody who raises their hand, right? And that's good. I want that out there because I I don't like how that training is done a lot. And so I, I understand why other people don't like it. And that has been part of my personal mission is doing it differently. You know, bringing context, bringing the real world into it, you know, talking about real events that have happened and wh why is this okay why is this not okay you know not making them up but but real fire service stuff you know yeah. and um and getting people to to recognize that every group every single group that you are part of even if you know everyone looks exactly like you is a diverse group it's just you know some diversity shows on the surface and some diversity shows on the inside and diverse groups are stronger groups. That's just, I mean, coaches know this. Sports coaches know this. I mean, that's what they mean by depth, right, in a team. Right. So if you want depth in your fire service team, then you have to value the diversity of the members that are part of it. And that includes their backgrounds, their interests, their expertise, their everything about them. You want people, because the fire service is so um, generalized, I mean, you never know what you're going to get called on. We could have fun here talking about the weirdest calls we've ever gone on, right? You can get called on anything. So you want, you want every member, and you never have too many people, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, we certainly never did on my department. Maybe in the big cities, they have never in my city did we ever have too many people on a call. You want every single person there to bring their whole self, everything they've got to every call. And that means accepting them for their whole self, right? Mm -hmm. And including them for their whole self. And if they feel that that's not possible, then you've lost some of your resource. I mean, it's as simple as that. You're, it, it's just bad resource management. Was it your experience 
as a woman in the fire service that really, I mean, it, it seems impossible to disconnect these things, but to that helped you down a path of like, let's talk about better diversity training and, you know, working that into your business. And, you know, how did those early experiences sort of inform where your career went? Oh, sure. I mean, I, and I, I've mentioned this uh, phrase before, I think maybe even in some of my writing that I think there's tremendous value in somebody who's what I call an inside outsider, somebody who's, who's on the inside enough to, they're, they're a member, they understand it, they're, they understand the culture, but they're not blinded by it, you know? And that's what happens sometimes. You know, again, we could talk about some of these crazy things that have happened. And you look at them in retrospect that crews have done and you say, how could that have happened? Well, it's because people were all kind of seeing things the same way. You know, when you all see things the same way, you can all walk off the same cliff very easily. So it, it's really helpful to have somebody say, hey, what about this? You know, oh, what do you think about that? Uh, I recently did some um, training with uh, the, let's see, what do they call it? ABLE. And I've, I wrote an article about ABLE for the for Fire Rescue One. And they're actually expanding it, Janelle, to, um, to include fire and, and other um, emergency responders. Um, I had a meeting Great. with them a couple months ago. It's not ready yet, so when it is, I'll I'll make sure I get it get that to you. But ABLE stands for um, uh, Active Bystandership in Law Enforcement, and it's a uh, it's a program through Georgetown University to train law enforcement personnel to intervene if necessary if something is going off the rails in front of them. You know, uh, it it was. It wasn't actually sparked by the George Floyd um, incident. That's when Abel became, that's when it became part of Georgetown University. It started in New Orleans uh, as EPIC, which is ethical policing is courageous, I think is what EPIC stood for. Anyway, um, New Orleans had a very bad track record in its, law, in its police department. Uh, this was you know, a decade or so ago. And they were put under a court order and they developed this program with Loyola University in New Orleans. So there's been a lot of work done in, um, ABLE is a nonprofit that uh, has a web presence and so forth. But those kind, I mean, those are skills that have to be learned. Skills that have to be learned and, and a, a common ethic about what needs to be done. A common sense of, we expect you to step up yeah and that has not yeah that has not been the expectation in fire or police for, for did, a long time did you find yourself being the person who was speaking up a lot and did you get any resistance well sometimes i mean you know i followed my captain's advice show up to work on time try to get along with people and don't do anything really stupid your first year on the job <laughs> i mean I, I i did follow that advice and I mean, one thing I had going for me was that I had a lot of experience working in non-traditional jobs. I had been a backcountry rescue ranger for the National Park Service for three years before I became a firefighter. Um, I worked up at Mount Rainier National Park up in Washington State. And I also worked on a trail crew. I worked at a gas station. 
Um, so I had worked with all guys. I, I had a real sense of how that could be managed and, and how it could go well. And I had an expectation that it would go well. So I actually had more, I think, more experience in some ways than my male coworkers did. And, and for that reason, I was, um, I had a sense of, oh, compassion and empathy for them, I guess, because it was new to them, you know? I mean, it was a new thing. They, were, they weren't necessarily trying to, to do the wrong thing. They just, they just weren't well prepared in some cases, you know? And I think organizations can help people be better prepared. The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision we make as a company is about you, our customer. We wouldn't be where we are today without you, and we don't take that lightly. We understand that having the right gear can mean the difference between life and death. Our goal is to get you the gear you need, when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit us at thefirestore.com for everything but the truck, and shop our family of brands, including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. Now let's get back to the show. What's you got to tell me one of the stories that's I, I could tell there's one you want to say that for an example. Oh, uh, what in what regard? Well, you were saying <laughs> that there's some instances where you're like, how in the world did they make that decision? But uh, you know. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, hmm. um, we could go. We could go right to the designated adult article. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. My yeah. favorite. <laughs> One of the, um, okay, so what, and, and I only, I'm not, I'm not going to mention names here because um, my purpose in using real events is not to shame or humiliate or, you know, anything like that. But if you make the newspaper, you're fair game. So um, there was an incident that I have used um, in classes, the, the infamous um, porn star costume ball. And they, um, a large metropolitan fire department, an engine crew took the engine to an event in, in their district that was called the Porn Star Costume Ball. And, um, and they hung out there with people, you can imagine what that was like, and uh, ended up making some new friends and um, rode around the city with some of their new friends and uh, were seen in bars um with their new friends and um and ultimately uh it came to light well people saw them for one thing you know they were out in public doing this and on duty um, we're all saying this is on duty correct oh, yes yeah oh, yes. in uniform in, yeah. uniform, in yes. uniform yep and um and then the next day or sometime after one of the women who had participated in this evening out uh filed a complaint saying that she had been sexually assaulted. So um, at this point, it you know became a very big deal, as you can imagine. So, okay, so what I use that incident for is specifically this. I asked this question, and this is the question I asked for all the incidents. I mean, there was the hazing one with the fake gun. There was the strip club, you know, we could go on and on. Anyway, um, what was the company officer doing when this was going on. Right, I'm, I'm participating in this case. Absolutely, you, I mean, everyone knows the answer to that question. That's not a trick question. 
you know the answer because you can't take the truck without the company officer being on it, right? You, you can't do anything without the company officer, at least tacitly going along, if not actively. And um, that's, where, that's where that comes back to the article that Janelle was referring to, the designated adult. <laughs> you know, I mean, at some point, you know, we all know what fire stations are like, and it's, it's one of the things I like about the fire service is that fires, firefighters can still be kids. They can still have fun. They, they can get silly. They, I mean, it's, that's all good stuff, I think. And I think it's critical because it helps with decompressing from difficult calls. It helps to create um, a team dynamic. You know, all of that can be very good. But it can also go off the rails. And quickly. Quickly. Yeah. And, you know, because firefighters are very competitive, right? <laughs> so, I never and, looked at it that way, but trying to one up each other yes. can result in, uh, hey, I can make this joke even more funny by doing this, right? That's the never, point that I make. That's never exactly thought right. About that. Yeah. Yes. If you so, think that's funny, you know, it would be really funny. Yeah, exactly right. Okay. So somebody at that point has to stand up and say, okay, let's go clean the engine, you know, <laughs> let's go do something else. Yeah. You know, just break the, break that momentum. And that to me is the company officer's job. Part of it. It's part of the company officer's job. And if the company officer is not doing that, that's when bad things happen. Yeah. And especially and so if everybody is back right. to mentorship that we were talking about earlier. And like, yes. there's the informal mentorship that, you know, complements more formal mentorship, but it's all, it's all connected because if, if you see your company officer, you know, jump intervening when something might be going off the rails, that's a teaching mm -hmm. moment and right. they're learning for when they might be a company officer in the future. And just again, informal, those informal mo moments that are so powerful, especially at the station. I mean, going to the, uh, I can't even think of what the name of that ball, the inappropriate ball, like <laughs> blaring red flags everywhere. But there's I think so that's the more. new name they're going to use too, Janelle. <laughs> it's going to be called the inappropriate ball. The inappropriate and it ball, was, yes. this was many years ago. I must say this was over 10 years ago. Yeah. So, and this department, you know, I also want to speak up to this, that this is very important and it kind of goes along with what you're saying too. You know, one of the issues with the fire service is that it's, it's not centralized, you know? Every station can be its own little fiefdom here and, and mm -hmm. operate very differently depending on who's in charge there. So while this was going on at one station in this city, you know, other people were doing exactly the right things in other stations. Of course. Of course. The problem is what, that the public doesn't get that. Yeah. The public sees firefighters as interchangeable and they don't know they don't know old, young. They don't even know male, female most of the time. I mean, you know, people call me sir. I, I don't know how many times because, you know, you're in all the gear. They can't tell. So and that was fine because firefighters should be interchangeable. That's the nature of the job. But because of that, when some firefighters behave badly or or don't. Don't respect norms and professionalism, it doesn't just impact them, you know, their discipline. Okay. It impacts the whole department. That whole department was smeared by one 
one company, and this was a very large department. This yeah. was one company that did this. And it erodes the public trust overall. Oh yeah. Because of the representation of the full department, even if it's the one person out of a thousand. That's right. And, um, you know, company officers back to that, uh, they are, I will say it again, it's the most important, powerful position on the fire department. You are a role model. You are a mentor. You are an instructor. You're a counselor. You're, you know, you're everything for this. The new person comes on the job. They don't, they don't know what's expected of them, really. I mean, they've been through academy, depending on the department, you know, varying lengths, but they still don't know. They don't know what to expect coming in that first day on the job. And that is taught to them by the officer in particular, but all the crew in that station. Um, you know, people who, people who have trouble, people who became problem employees. I, I, uh, it's another thing in my training, I'll have some, okay, how many of you can think of a problem employee on your department? Well, everybody can, of course, right? So, okay. So I say, um, so how many years does that ha person have on the job? Okay. Are you thinking of one right now, Aaron? Uh, several. Yeah. Okay. How many years? You don't have to name names and you you can be more vague, but how many years? Less than five? Uh, yeah. Some, really? Uh, well, five, five to 10. Okay. Generally not less than five. Certainly never less yeah. than two. Um, because people in those brackets still are trying to figure it out. They're trying to do the right thing, right? Um, okay, in many cases, like I had one guy come to me and say he had been assigned this guy and he was a notoriously problem employee on the job. And this guy had 22 years on the job. And the, the guy who came to me had like 10, 12, he'd just been promoted to company officer. And he was what do I do? You know, I mean, everyone knows about this guy and now he's my guy. And, and, and I told him, well, he's your guy. So do everything you can, <laughs> you know, I mean, you can't change 22 years of history, but you can start today. Mm -hmm. And people are remarkably responsive to that. Um, even people who seem cynical and lost and you know, we had a guy on my job, he came up to me and, and the way, this is how he introduced himself to me. He'd been on the job many years and he said, hello, my name is, tell me his name. He said, I'm kind of considered dead wood around here. <laughs> That's how he introduced himself. And he was right. That's exactly what people thought of him. But he wasn't, he, he had a lot to offer. You know, he wasn't a star. He was never gonna be a star. He had made some mistakes early on, which followed him and became predictive, you know, of what came in the future. But he had a lot to offer. And all it took was just somebody stepping up and saying, you know, you're an equal and valued member of this team. And these are my expectations. And, you know, you have needs. You let me know what they are and we're going to work together from here. Yeah. Looking out after each other goes a long way. And if you write someone off, how are you really looking out for them? Right. Right. Yeah. I, and I, I have to actually use an example of uh, a lieutenant that I've, uh, you know, kind of looked up to now. And, and I heard this story. And uh, when I was getting oriented, 
oriented to um, to the position. Um, this is a more senior uh, lieutenant, a senior crew, and he said, I failed my crew because I had an individual who we were just trying to get him to retirement. So I, I would protect them. You know, they needed uh, help with fitness. They needed help with their uh, injury mm -hmm. management. They needed help with their nutrition. And I would, I would just try to protect them to get them through to retirement. And he said, I failed that person. Mm -hmm. And for, for me as a new Lieutenant to hear that from one of the more senior people saying, you know what, it's okay to reflect and to admit when you, when you mess something up. Um, but what he did do is said, I met with that individual and said, I'm sorry, I messed up. My goal shouldn't be to get you to retirement. My, my goal should get you through retirement to enjoy your retirement. And we need to start working together as a crew to help build you up and get you ready for that next stage, not to get you to limp to it so you can be miserable in retirement. And not hearing that from a, a senior company officer and then seeing that reaction, you know, really amplifies what you're saying is, a, make, make your own decision on people and connect with them. Um, and and that, that's a, a great example both I, that I've seen and, and that you're, you're talking about. What's another thing, you know, when you get that, that individual that everybody says, oh, my God, that you have that person on your crew. Um, what's another bit of information to help, you know, break through that and, 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 and connect with that person? Well, you know, again aside from very large departments, but even those, I don't know a single fire crew that has somebody that can just be written off, that, that can just, you know, we don't need you, just sit over there. I mean, we never had a person like that. And, and you go on a call, any one of those people that's with you could be the difference between life and death for you, you know? And that's the way I looked at it as an officer is, it was in my best interest to get these people as fit and and ready and motivated and you know committed to the common cause as possible. I mean, it was selfish because I wanted them to be there for me. I mean, I knew I was going to be there for them, but I wanted us all, you know, to be there for each other. And and you don't know when that you don't know when that moment's going to come. And that's one of the great things I think about the fire service. You don't know. It could be a minute from now. It could be next year. But you got to be ready for it when it does come. Yeah. And treat them like, hey, you're part of the crew. Is that what you did with that? You, yes. you mentioned somebody with 22 oh. years on the job. and Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, yeah, that particular case was somebody who came to me outside of my department, just came for advice. But, yeah, within the, the guy that introduced himself as Dead Wood, actually worked with me and an officer. I was fairly new on the job. And this officer, if I ever had a mentor, I would say he was probably it. I don't think he saw himself that way, but he behaved that way. And he behaved that way not only to me, but also to this guy who basically had been written off by many others on the department. And and it wasn't out of it wasn't out of kindness or compassion, at least on the surface. It was as I just said, it was out of practicality. You know, we, this is how we're going to work. This is how it's going to work as a team. You know, uh, we're, we're going to make it work together. And that makes you, you know, people tend to rise to meet positive expectations of them. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is a known fact in research. 
they also tend to decline to meet negative expectations of them. So just having that positive expectation and that and giving people the, um, the means to achieve it, you know, that, that's, that's good. I want to, I want to go back to the problem employee though, for a second, because there's the, we talked about the guy who introduced himself as Deadwood. We don't want to write anybody off, but when you were asking, can we think of problem employees? Everyone has somebody that they work with, right? Who, but if someone's been on the job for 20 years and they're still being identified as the problem employee, yeah. like how do you even begin to reverse that course when it's gone on for so long? Because people, have, they missed that window in a way to kind of mold them into the, the great employee. Well, a lot of people in that situation have not been doing their jobs. And that's what I told this guy, you know, when he came to me, I said, you know, your, your colleagues, your coworkers have let you down. And, and I'm sorry for you on that regard, but now it's up to you. Don't, you can't be like them. You can't just say, oh, I'm just gonna, like you said, you know, just try to get by until we can slough this person off on somebody else. No, because you might have the worst call of your life today and that's the person that's going to be with you so you have to start right now i mean doing training you know making sure that person has the basic skills and but not doing it in a punitive way doing it in an inclusive way in a supportive way you know not to humiliate somebody or you know that comp competition but you know even just one-on-one -on -one so that the person isn't even you know, if the person, I mean, we, if the person has having trouble getting into their air pack, I mean, this can happen, right? Mm -hmm. That's a very, that's a humiliating thing. And, and if you're doing an exercise or a training where there's 10 people standing around and you have to do it in front of all of them um, and you're not confident and you fail, that's not going to help you get better. <laughs> right, right. You know? Yeah. But if you are with a person one on one who has observed that you might have trouble with that skill and they draw you aside into a private place and say, OK, let's do this slowly. Let's go through this. Where's the problem here? Then you can make some progress. And that person understands, too, that you're not their enemy, that you're on their side, you know. Yeah, that, and that goes a long way in just how you handle those situations. And I think that goes back to training, right? Like having conversations about what really works is uh, I think step one in this whole process and, and, and identifying which you have done, you know, through your career, Hey, we've gotten some things right. We've gotten some things wrong. Um, and it kind of leads me to that one question. I think that, you know, leads us to, to the apex of this is when you look at leadership in the fire service, what are the two traits, you would hope every single leader has? Hmm. Well, I would certainly hope they would be honest. And, um, and courageous. 
and not just uh, not just running into a fire, mm -hmm. you know, but courageous in terms of standing up if some someone is saying something, doing something that is not appropriate, that is not right, that it's hurtful, that's undermining the crew, that they have the courage to stand up and, and say so. Yeah. To their face, not yes, behind their back. Absolutely. Oh right. no. To their yeah. face. Yeah. Well, and you, you wrote a book about a lot of females uh, in the fire service that are courageous and, um, and, and you, you, documented their stories. Um, the, the book is on the line, women firefighters tell their stories. Right. And that is a little over 10 years old now. Um, yeah. But I think everything that you've talked about in that book, you talk the stories are very pertinent. What's the one story that really sticks out? In the book? To you. Yeah, to you. Well, there's a lot of great stories in the book. And that's one reason why I wrote it is um, I wanted to highlight the experience of women and and the diversity among women, particularly, you know, because they're all different. If you've read the book, you know, there's a wide range of volunteer paid, big city, small town, race, age, et cetera, et cetera. You know, uh, all that stuff is, is included in terms of, of where women are coming from. But um, um, gosh, there were, there's some very powerful stories in the book, mm -hmm. I thought, I mean, I, I wrote the book right on the occasion of the 10th anniversary of 9-11. And so I asked several, um, I had a number of women tell their experiences of working on 9-11. And those stories resonated really deeply with me and, and were very powerful to me. Um, the one story that, that really um, shook me was of the woman who uh, had to go on the death of a child and then um, the child had been murdered by his father. And um, the father was also injured as a result of the incident. And in dealing with the death of this child, they also had to help the father with, because he was injured. And, and the conflict that that brought up in, in the crew, I thought was very powerful. Um, several women talked about their experiences of trying to break through to gain uh, inclusion and acceptance. There were some funny stories in it about that too. Um, you know, I loved, uh, I loved the one story of the one woman who uh, had the, the person who was having a mental health crisis in the swimming pool. I don't know if you remember that one. And he was trying to drown himself in the swimming pool. And he, he was having some kind of psychotic religious experience and she, um, Nobody was able to get this guy out. Every time they tried to approach him, he would submerge. And, and um, she, uh, she finally told him, uh, he thought he was, he was Christ. And so she told him that she was his mother, Mary, and she was commanding him to get out of the pool. And it worked. And he came out of the pool. So that became her nickname from then on was Mother Mary. <laughs> Got to get creative sometimes. Oh, that's right. awesome. And that's, yeah. you know, that, I mean, one, one of the reasons I wrote the book, like I said, was partly on the anniversary of 9-11 <clears throat> and partly because firefighters have the best stories. And I wanted to, uh, I wanted to tell some of them. And people have encouraged me to, to do another book um, with more stories. And, and I haven't ruled that out. But um, for now, this one will have to be the one that is out there. 
Well, we have some stories uh, on previous podcasts that I think that would go along great with your with your book, and I'm I'm going to encourage you to do it. Um, uh, just a, a challenge to you, because you know we're all about being better here. It, the better every shift, and uh, of course we want um, you know our listeners to take from your stories and your experience, uh, but we also want to challenge our listeners a little bit. So we'd love to see that second book. Uh, we have some people <laughs> to add to that, and. Um, I just appreciate your insight. We could talk hours uh, upon hours about stories and how they can relate back to leadership. Uh, I would encourage our listeners to, to uh, log on to, um, and Janelle will leave a link to all the different articles that you've written. Um, and I, I can't thank you enough for just, uh, again, your insight and, and your time, but we're not, we're not gonna let you go yet. We're, we have some other questions for you. We call them hot seat questions. Uh, okay, here yep. we go. Yep. Yes. <laughs> You've heard already. See, Janelle, we're gaining a little traction with these hot seat questions. Uh, Janelle comes up with them because obviously we all know those that know Janelle. She's very organized and she's uh, very smart. So she comes up with these with help from her mom, of course, our number one fan. So what do you got today, Janelle? All right, Linda, um, I'm curious if you can share with us a recent proud moment. Hmm. Well, I would say, um, I'll give you one specifically, but in general, I really appreciate, I don't know if it's pride, but I get a lot of satisfaction out of getting feedback from what I write. And I will occasionally, um, fairly regularly get emails from people who have read a column and, and, you know, it's just thrilling to a writer that someone even reads your columns, much less chooses to take the time to comment on them to you personally. Um, I did have an experience um, that, that was tremendously rewarding to me and instructive, I think, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I, I taught um, college uh, level classes in the business curriculum of a university for a couple of years uh, online. It was remote teaching. And, um, and one of the things I had to do, <clears throat> excuse me, through that, that work was grading writing. And, and I'm, I mean, I'm a writer, so I, I take writing very seriously and, and I try to help people be better writers for a lot of reasons. I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons to be a good writer, not just to express yourself, but also, you know, to organize, to be able to advocate. I mean, there's a lot of, anyway, this one student, and I had hundreds of students over the years that I did this, and, um, and I was honest with them, you know, in the grades that I gave them. Um, I, I didn't just give them all A's. And uh, some of them didn't like the fact that they got bad grades because they were used to getting all A's no matter what they did. But um, years later, I got an email. I don't know how this guy found me. Um, I don't think he was in the fire service. Um, maybe he was. Anyway, I got an email from this guy who had been one of my students. And he said to me, um, you know, what my name is this, and I was one of your students five years ago, and I, I wrote this essay, and you gave me a bad grade on it. And I just want to thank you for that, because as a result, you were the first person that told me honestly what I was doing wrong, and I was able to correct it, and I've just finished my master's degree. And it was, it was so inspiring, you know? I mean, it was really exciting to, to hear from someone who 
you know, a lot of times you, you tell people the truth or you, you, they get mad at you, but this guy, he appreciated it. And I was very thankful to him for that. That's awesome. Making somebody better every uh, study session. Sentence. <laughs> better every yeah. sentence. Right, oh, right. No better way. every sentence. There yes. you go. Yeah. Well, speaking of, you know, challenges, overcoming things like your, you had helped your uh, student overcome their writing challenges. Uh, what's the biggest challenge you've, you've overcome this year? Well, I think one of the challenges that all of us face on a continuing basis and has been part of the essence of the work that I've done is how to manage change and how to accept change. Um, you know, they say change is the only constant, right? So firefighters, not necessarily great at that, but people in general, not necessarily great at that. And, you know, those of us uh, just living in the world, um, there's been a lot of changes in, in recent years and um, both generally in society and for each of us personally. And I think um, trying to, to accept that and, and decide, okay, you know, uh, I don't, my life isn't infinite, I'm not gonna live forever. Um, what do I wanna do with the rest of it? And, you know, what's the most important thing and where should I put my attention? Um, these, I wouldn't say that I've overcome those challenges, but I'm certainly facing them. And embracing them. Mm, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This might be a hard one, but if there's one person who you can say is the biggest influence, has had the biggest influence on your life, and if you'd like to narrow that down to the fire service, we could do oh. that. Fire service. Well, um, people always, you know, just in general, people always mention a parent, and that's true for me too. You know, my mom was was a tremendous influence on me. She uh, just she died quite young, so I've been without her for a long time. But um, she, what she did for me, and and I've tried to carry forward in my life is, she treated everyone with respect. And she was a teacher and she even treated, she treated her students with respect. She treated her second graders with respect. And, um, and that was something that, that I learned from her and I have carried forward in my life in, as a firefighter and also just in my life in general. Um, it's something that I think is, um, you know, that goes a long way with your coworkers, with the, the service community that you're dealing with. Um, I've written about dealing with older people and I'm an older person now. So I appreciate it when people don't call me sweetie and hun when they come <laughs> deal with me in a customer service way. So um, yeah, so that I got uh, early on and I'm grateful for that. Um, in terms of the fire service, um, I, uh, I had some I had some really uh, good connections with people and I don't know that I would single out one in particular, um, but you know, the, the guys that I worked with, I mean, there were a few that 
let's face it, they didn't want women there. They, they didn't like the idea of it. They, and they were never going to get over that. And they didn't. Um, and then there were some guys that were very open right from the beginning and supportive and, and it was good. And then there were some that were kind of in the middle that just were inexperienced. They hadn't had the experience of working with women. They, they didn't, or others that were different. They, they just didn't know, um, how to do it. And some of those were the best guys because they, they actively chose to, to be inclusive. They actively chose to be respectful and tolerant and helpful as opposed to just doing it because they were raised that way or not doing it because they just didn't feel like it. You know, when someone makes a conscious choice about how they're going to behave, to me, that is much more meaningful and powerful to me um, than just doing it because that's what you're supposed to do one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I, I'd like to pivot that actually into, I'm curious about your motivation with starting what is now known as Women Fire and what started you down that path and when, like how that process evolved. Okay, I'll give you the quick chronology. Um, I got a, um, I, my first year on the job, 1980, I got a, a letter. We still wrote letters back then. <laughs> I still do. And a, and a stamp, by the way, for our younger listeners. I um, still do, yeah. I still, there's I paper, still pencils, them. and these envelopes. You had to lick them, they tasted kind of good, and then you put a stamp mm -hmm. on it. Anyways. Yep. Right. I still history. send letters. I Oh, good to know. I'm glad somebody does, because I still do, too. Um, anyway, um, 1980, I got a letter. It was addressed to the fire department. It came to my captain on my ship. And I remember the day he, he just he just kind of tossed it toward me. I think this is for you, because it was addressed to women of the Boulder Fire Department. So it was a survey from a woman in Ohio uh, named Therese Florin, who was a firefighter there. And she was teaching a class. I think at the Ohio State Fire Academy on women in the fire service. And this was, you know, early on 1980. And she was trying to survey, trying to identify women around the country of which there were very few. And uh, so I answered the survey and she wrote at the bottom, if you feel like getting the survey results, you know, let me know, put your address here. So I did. And then she sent the survey results and I wrote back to her. Uh, this was 1981. And I said, you know, maybe we should, um, now that we know where some of these women are, we should have a directory, you know, in case we're traveling. And, you know, because back then, if you were a woman firefighter, you couldn't just show up at a fire department and say, mm. oh, I'm a firefighter, you know, show me the trucks. They would be like, no, you know, I mean, it was weird. So you, we it would kind of be like, like, where was it safe to go? You know, <laughs> that right. was the kind of the purpose of the directory initially. And, and where, and, you know, if other women wanted to connect with each other. And then she said, yeah, that's a good idea. And mind you, this is all going through letters. Um, and I've always wanted to start a newsletter as a communications device. So anyway, try to shorten this. We started a newsletter in 1982 um, that Terry uh, was, she was responsible for. And we incorporated as an organization, which was called Women in the Fire Service back then, WFS, in 1983. Um, we had our first national conference in 1985 in Boulder, which I was not really happy about because I was still kind of hiding out then um, in terms of my involvement with women on a national basis. I wasn't sure how that was going to go with my coworkers, so I was keeping a very low profile with that at work. 
I knew my cover would be blown once this national conference was happening in you know my town. Um, I think 70 women actually registered for that conference in 1985, and about 150 showed up. Oh, wow! Wow! Last minute, word of mouth. People just got on planes and got in their cars and they came. It was incredible. Wow. It was incredible. It was amazing. Um, so then we started doing national conferences. Oh, and by the way, just as an aside. Um, that was the first time that Terry and I had ever met in person was at that conference. We'd been running this running this organization for four years remotely. Of course, now that happens all the time. Yeah. But back then, it was a big deal. Yeah, but that was via snail mail. That wasn't yeah. via email. And no, no, snail yeah, mail and, and, and phone calls. We actually right, talked to right, each other. Right. Actual <laughs> phone um, calls. Yeah. And anyway, so then, uh, so that was 1985. So from 1985 to, I believe, 2007 was the last women in the fire service conference. They, every other year was an international conference um, at a different location around the country. And then in the off year, there was a leadership conference. Um, in the meantime, the organization oh, it did a lot of stuff. I mean, we were involved with committees at the federal level. We, um, you know, advisory capacity. Um, we had, we, we participated in, um, USFA publications writing, which I think are still existing publications and and um, and just the the networking camaraderie piece of it, which was just incredible and, and wonderful. And then there was a kind of a change in 19. I mean, in 2008, there was a, um, a, a leadership change. Terry retired and and um, the new leadership of the organization took it in a slightly different direction. And, and have since taken it in a slightly different direction and changed the name to Women in Fire. I think originally it was International Association of Women in Fire and Emergency Services, I think was the original change name. And that was, I guess, too long. So now it's Women in Fire, which is much easier to remember. And, and they continued, I think they're having a conference next year in San Diego. Yep. Yes. And, um, you know, um, they're keeping it alive. They're taking it forward, which is great. You know, it's been what now, um, 40, 40 years. So. Yeah. I, and I, I applaud that, uh, for you to, to just have the conviction to do that. And, you know, again, you started it with snail mail. Um, you know, I, and just a bit of history. I, my first crew on my fire department was me and all women. It was, oh yeah. Yep. Yep. And my chief, uh, Chief Deborah Mesqua was. Oh, the, yeah. Deborah, yep. I know for sure. Yep. She is uh, the reason I'm probably here because she took a chance and hired me at age 36 for her department. And my very first crew was all females. And I would well, not have I, any, any other that, way. You were in Madison then? I was. Yes, I am. Okay. Yep. Well, I'm yep. sure I know some of those women that you worked with because yes. they, were, they were quite active in the national organization. Very much so, and and uh, trying to find their way back in, I think, uh, and still involved with it. And um, I will say, my experience there was one that I like. I wouldn't trade it in for the world. Uh, just being surrounded by uh, the diversity, looking at the job differently, looking at tasks differently, um, I became a much more efficient uh, firefighter, and and I think it's helped, hopefully, uh, with leadership and um, and. And so you're kind of responsible for that, which is really cool <laughs> to have this come back full circle. So thank you for doing that. And uh, it's got to be pretty gratifying to see how, uh, you know, your passion to make something better, 
right, to make the fire service better has really paid off. Uh, so it comes into my last question. How are you working to be better still today? Well, you just keep moving forward, right? That's one of my, uh, one of my mantras is move forward and don't stop. Never stop. I mean, there's a lot of obstacles in life um, as you age and experience things. There's things that come up that you have to work through, right? So uh, you, you just have to keep moving ahead. And, and for me, um, you know, I, I, saw this, uh, I saw this wonderful Venn diagram. I don't know if I have it in front of me here, if I can find it. Yeah, there it is. Um, I saw this wonderful Venn diagram online the other day about what what you should be doing, you know, what your commitment should be. And and it's, you know, Venn diagrams, there's the three circles that intersect with the piece in the middle. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the three circles are labeled, what are you good at? What work needs doing? And what brings you joy? And the intersection of those three things is is where you should be and where you should be focusing your attention and your passion. I like that. That's great. And what did yours say? <laughs> well, like I said, I mean, at this point in my life, I, I get out walking as often as I can. I, I'm, I was a rock climber, a mountaineer. I mean, I, the outdoors, that was my, my first passion. Um, I didn't tell you the story about how I became a firefighter. We don't have time for that, but um, it was a bit by accident, and um, I think it's in the book. Actually, I think I, I think I tell the story in the book about how I became a firefighter. So, um, but uh, you know, just just don't stop. You know, just keep getting out and doing things, and you know, learning things, um, reading, listening, trying to you know learn from your mistakes, which you keep making, no matter how old you are. And, uh, and, you know, never get uh, arrogant about, uh, oh, I know it all or, or lazy about I'm done. I mean, you're never done. Just got to keep moving. And Linda, thanks again for your insight. And I, I think a great way to just summarize some of the things that you um, bestowed on us is, you know, just don't quit. Always try to keep improving. Talk to each other. Listen, take uh, responsibility for your actions, but listen to others so you can continually grow. And that's really what we're all about here on the Better Every Shift podcast. So uh, again, thank you. And for those that are listening to us, you can watch us on the Fire Rescue One YouTube page. You can also uh, rate, review the show, email us uh, at bettereveryshift at firerescueone.com if you have questions, concerns, if you think we're on something or onto something. Uh, again, Watch us on YouTube. You can go to firerescue1.com. There is a great banner up there that you can click on to see all of our 50 plus episodes of working on being better. And uh, going along with what Linda said, being better doesn't stop. Just keep working at it. Keep making sure that you uh, listen to people, talk to people, communicate, make sure that you learn something, do something and share something to make you and those around you better every shift. Thanks for listening, everybody.